Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And what the hell, man? I'm back. He's <laughs> that excited to be back. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, Jake's been gone for a little while, but he's back now for uh, another great episode of the Overcrest podcast. We've got Richard Rawlings from Gas Monkey Garage calling in later to discuss a bit of his history with cars, some tips on buying and selling, and the Gas Monkey Garage Foundation's giveaway with our sponsor, Oh, maze. That's so right. it's, it's, it was really interesting to talk to him and kind of hear, I like some of his tips on, on selling one in particular that you'll have to, yep, you, I got to listen to this while I was on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. And so I how was like it, it listening to me on vacation? It was good because yeah. I was sitting on the beach with a beer and just taking it in. So I've got a couple of people this week that, um, one guy listened to all binge listened all of our podcasts I know, all at once. Which we have like, what, 165? 160 episodes. 160 episodes or so. So he's been doing a lot of driving. And I'm just like, <laughs> holy cow, man. I don't think even my wife could listen to me no. for that long. So kudos to the guys. There's there's a lot of people are binging it now, which is kind of fun. You know, yeah. listening and getting all caught up and everything like that. That's kind of the nice thing about podcasts, I guess. Is it's always well, just it's like there. Netflix. As soon as they release a new, you know, season, you can just go nuts. Yeah, that's right. So before we get into uh, what's going on with you when you were in Hawaii, you've got like some sort of Jeep situation going on here that I <laughs> didn't really read. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about our sponsor at Worth? That's right. So Worth is a family owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high quality, professional grade shop supplies and tools with industry leading customer service. Like I say the good stuff. It is the good stuff. They've also just launched their world-class hand tool line to the U.S. market, and these are German-made tools with a lifetime warranty. I've got a few of those tools on the way, so I'm curious to try them out. And, you know, I guess I the only thing I'm really doing is I'm going to be cutting my car in half. <laughs> so I don't think I have any of those tools coming on the way, but I've got a few other things. Yeah. So head over to worthusa.com to check out all of their products. And I'm excited to uh, test them out as we go forward. All right. So your first things here says back from Hawaii. Did you miss me? No. <laughs> you son of a. All right. So what's going on? You got so like this Jeep I, ran here. Yeah. So we Did rented. Did you take the doors off again? Last time you were there. Since yeah, of course you're, you do. Since you're the least creative vacation person ever, you went to Hawaii twice. And last well, time. I've you, actually been there five or six times. Well, I rest my case. You <laughs> took the doors off and we're driving around with no doors. What's yeah, the problem? Yeah, as you do. What's so, okay. So we did a full history episode on Jeep. But here's a little refresher for you, Chris. Okay. The modern-day Jeep Wrangler can trace its roots directly back to the U.S. Army's Willys MB model, first released in 1941. Then from there, it evolved to become the M38A1 in 1952, also still a military model, and was then released to the civilian market as the CJ5. In 1964. And now we have the Jeep Wrangler Call of Duty edition. <laughs> which As is a throwback. <laughs> no, so, okay, follow me on this. No, no, it's the video game, like the Call of Duty Modern Warfare Jeep. No, I know. You can buy it if you right. like video games that and was, Jeeps. I think a couple years ago, actually. Yeah, I saw some chick with purple hair driving one today. There you go. She, she looked like a gamer girl to me. Yeah, so, no, here's my point. Okay, the original Jeep. For the Army was 1941, then it became the M38, and then the CJ5. Then it was stretched 10 inches longer into the CJ7 in 76, which was then evolved into the Wrangler model in 1987. That is cliff notes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes. From there, we've had three distinct generations of Wrangler, as it's called, with the last year's 2018 JL chassis making the fourth. Okay. okay. But you can... What my point is, you can draw a direct lineage all the way back to 1941. 
where it's basically the same vehicle and just been evolved. Yeah, that's awesome. Not so, many, not many marks or models no, are like that. But with the same basic design, having been in production for over 78 years, don't you think they'd have the design of this thing completely nailed down, Chris? Why? How many buttons broke off? <laughs> so, don't get me wrong. I like them. That's why I keep renting them on vacation. They're How come great. you don't own one of those instead of your Hummer? Why don't you have a Jeep Gladiator? I don't understand. I like the Gladiator. I know you do. It's it's like the natural evolution of Jake. One. I'm not going to buy a brand new one. Okay. Um. So I have them on vacation, but let me be clear. The other reason I don't own one of these is they are junk. So granted, Why? this was a rental that I just had, and it was beat to hell. The carpet had obviously been pulled out and cleaned and not installed correctly. So like the carpet was coming undone, and the soft top was thrashed from being put up and down. So many people that didn't understand how this thing works. And guess what? It's also not yours. So right. they can treat it however they exactly. want. Exactly. Which, which is, is why a, it's I have thrashed. a huge problem with that, is when people don't treat oh, other people's things do. like they're their own. 100%. That's, but there are, besides it just being worn, there are elements of the design itself that are simply terrible. So part of the dashboard around the center stack was actually popped off its clips. Like, it's just, how does that even happen? Probably taking it off some sweet jumps. <laughs> I'm going to guess. We have a rental I, it's Jeep. just like, oh, how does this even happen in any car? The top design is super complicated and convoluted with sections that need to be unzipped before you're able to fold it down. I actually helped and then somebody these, put their top on once, and I'm... You're he, like, he had me come what? over because it was so complicated that yes. it, and heavy and awkward. And, and these brackets bind if you don't bring it down perfectly. And this is a manual top. So it's not like it's some super okay, I will tell you why none of this has changed. Because people are still buying it. And it's one of the best selling <laughs> cars ever. I mean, even today, this, <sighs> they sell zillions of these things. Yes. Why would they go through the time and effort and money of re-engineering it? They if a bunch of, here's my point. It's they a Jeep have, thing you don't understand. <laughs> they have re-engineered it, as to my point. They keep evolving the chassis. And okay, my last, my last item that was terrible and drove me nuts the entire okay. time. The driver's side seat belt buffets terribly in the wind with the window down. Oh, just like back or and the forth door off or anything. Yes. It's like <laughs> the whole time. How hard would that have been to figure out and fix? It is a uh, shoebox driving through the air. Right. I mean, but come on, put like one little, you know what I did is I actually twisted the seatbelt in the bracket. So it wraps around in a circle so it doesn't catch the wind. So it's less efficient than it would have been if it was just seatbelted properly is what you're saying. Right. <laughs> okay. But it didn't make the buffeting noise. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the buffeting noise is annoying. It's, you know, it's just an, one thing that always gets me is on new cars. I think old cars that had uh, uh, rain drip rails yeah. didn't have sound buffeting. I right, think. because it interrupted the airflow. It interrupted the airflow. Is not good for aerodynamics. Oh, who cares? The new cars, almost every new car, when you roll down the windows, yes. it sounds like there's a 5,000 watt subwoofer in your vehicle at a high frequency at a, oh it's terrible how can we not figure out the aerodynamics of this i, I found that some of the more expensive cars don't have this problem i was going to say because aerodynamics are so important they don't care about wind buffeting they only care about making it as slippery as possible to in a wind tunnel to make the epa required exact minimum All so right. anyways that's the end of my jeep rant but and it says you're you're there's a road trip coming up yeah what i'm going on a road trip tomorrow to north dakota south dakota did you you asked me if I was going to South Dakota anytime soon? Right, which is a ridiculous question. The answer is almost always no. Yep. What so now you, I am. What are you What are you getting? I'm buying with my dad. Okay, who's buying? So I think we're gonna split it. 
Otherwise, he'll just put down the money. Okay. But it'll be kind of our project. An old C10 pickup. What year? It's going to be slammed. What year? 64. Okay. Those are all right. No, those are the ones you called the Tupperware box. Oh, is it the 68, 69 where I start to like them? Yep. The seat, I don't like those. They, it, just, <laughs> it looks like somebody crushed a truck and then put it on top of another crushed truck and then put wheels on it. It, it just character. It's like a layer Man, cake. It's character. like a truck layer cake. No. Yeah. That's awesome. exactly what it is. So it's got awesome patina, but it's not super rusty. It runs. It are you drives. towing it back or are you going to try and drive towing it? Towing it back. Does it need a bunch of work or what's the deal? Uh, yeah, I, I, because I asked him, he's like, yeah, it runs and drives, sent all these videos. And I was like, well, would it bring it back to Minnesota? He's like, maybe, <laughs> but I wouldn't risk it. <laughs> oh, that sounds like exactly what it you should do. It sounds great, but I don't want to spend like a week on the road with this thing. From South Dakota, you'd have to break down a lot of yeah. times to make it back It's here. already seven hours. So what engine is in these things? So you can either put like any no, no, Chevy no. small block. What is in it? This one is the straight six. Is that a flathead? No, that's no. Ford, isn't no. it? Fords are flatheads. Well, early Fords. Are. So what is this thing? This is a inline six. I just think it's called the Jetfire Six or something like that. Like I looked cast it up. Iron head. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's is, pretty old school. Is it combustion chamber in the head or is it in the block? On something like that. I don't. I'm so not informed. It's in the on block. These, okay. I'm just. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what. What's, I mean, it's a separate head. It's. It's. Yeah. It's a normal. It's a conventional it's inline. It's a conventional six. inline six. Exactly. So you're going to take that out, obviously, and totally supersede that thing because it sounds awful. Yeah, I would love to put an LS into it sometime. But, I mean, we'll get it on the road and just absolutely slammed on its ass first. Okay. Well, I think that sounds like a reasonable plan. Yeah. All right. Before we get into uh, our, what's going on with me, why don't you tell us a little bit about our sponsor, Petrolbox. That's right. So, Petrolbox is a monthly subscription service specifically for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, these guys carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, you name it, and they put it in a box and they send it right there to your doorstep every single month. There are actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month at $19.95. Then you have the Petrobox Premium, which gets you more gear for $39.95 a month. So be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com. That's M-Y-P-E-T-R-O-L-B-O-X.com. And use the code OVERCREST to check out at checkout to get $6 off your first order. And you should have probably all of your Christmas shopping done by now. But if you don't, here's an one. easy one. Yeah, that, that works out great for the car guy in your life. So... Um, what have you been doing, Chris? How's the Porsche pan, man? I, <laughs> I've done nothing. Okay. Uh, you I, ordered parts. I did. I ordered parts the other day and, you know, I didn't post how much they cost. I just got I saw. But yeah, so it's about $3,100 in just parts, which to me doesn't really seem that bad, but maybe I'm just kind of getting brainwashed in the old air-cooled Porsche thing where everything's just expensive. Because so I, I looked up stuff. fenders for the C10 we're buying. 150 bucks. Yeah, my fender is 13 or 1500 just for <laughs> yeah, the fender. Yeah. Which is, it is truly outrageous. It is kind of. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it is what it is. I can't do, I don't want to cut anything because I want to get, I want to get the an original non You don't want to cut corners when you're cutting off corners. Exactly. <laughs> I want to put the fender on the car and actually look and see what is bent how with a fender that hasn't been messed with. Sure. Because the fender I have has been bent to fix the front end that I was see smashed. What you mean. So before I cut the car apart, I want to put a real fender on the car, that makes sense. do some measurements and find out where I need to cut because there's an inner fender piece that goes up towards the headlight, the inner fender that, you know, bolts up to the front latch panel. Yep. Okay. So I'm not sure how far back I need to go. 
So I bought a, oh. a small inner fender piece that basically covers the battery box area, mm-hmm. and then a little bit farther past that. I'm hoping that's all oh, I need. Because you're that worried is, you're gonna have to go further. If that piece is like two hundred dollars, the whole inner fender pieces, which is the next thing, mm-hmm. is eighteen hundred dollars. Mm. So I'm really, really, I really. If you could tweak it after you cut it back to position. No. Yeah. I mean, you could, but that's not. The I way know. to do it I know properly. It's not, the right way. it's not the way to go. So don't um, cut quarters when you're cutting off corners. You already said that. I know. So I'm bored with my wagon. So this is the wife mobile. The wife mobile. I was driving the other day. I'm like, I hate this thing. This thing it's a Volkswagen sucks. Volkswagen Jetta Sport Wagon. Sport Wagon TDI DSG. It just I don't. After everything that's Volkswagen did to me with, if you look, listen to the older episodes and they kind of right. screwed me the over and it rattles funny, not like diesel rattle, but rattles funny. <laughs> right. And, and it, the doors all squeak and I lubricated them and they don't squeak for like five minutes and then they start squeaking again and the air conditioning doesn't work. And I don't like the technology that's in the car. I feel like you need to either have a car that the technology is great mm-hmm. or there's none. Like sure. my 190 has no technology right. whatsoever. I 100% get So you that. need to ha- have either great stuff or none. Yep. And I'm kind of stuck in this middle of, well, it was 2012 when this thing came out. So it out. has Bluetooth, but sort maybe of. not Apple Play. And it, it does d- have CarPlay because I put okay. like a Chinese radio in it, which also has Baidu Car Life in it, which is the. What is that? It is the state run like CarPlay thing. <laughs> it's all in Chinese. So you can. Awesome. Yeah. Baidu Car Life. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, and I just. I don't know. The seat is kind of falling apart a little bit. It's starting to crack and the steering wheel is getting worn and you don't want to maintain it. it. You don't care enough about it to maintain it. Well, of course, I'm going to maintain it whether I like to or not. I know what you mean. But at 65,000 miles, it just doesn't feel like it should feel like this. It's kind of like a Jeep. Uh, In a way, I feel like (laughs) Volkswagen has really lost their way. Yeah. You know, for making a good, solid car. Everything's moving so fast right now that I think they just kind of got lost and mixed up. So then I started thinking, what other car could I get my wife that I would like? Yeah. I can't think of anything. I, I what I want you to do is I want you to throw some cars I am at me. I'll re- you were interrupting me because that's exactly what I was going to do. And I'm going to tell you no matter what it is, why I don't want it. OK, because I can't think of I can think of maybe one or two things I would try. Yes, but you have to keep in mind. You got to be reasonable here. No, Let's I not, am 100 percent. Okay, what have you got? I think you should get a used Tesla Model 3. That way you can experience what Tesla is about. It's a decent car from what we hear. I think that would be interesting. I think that'd be really interesting and cool. They're too expensive. Okay. Um, and no, I don't want to. Like, and just no. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse wouldn't go for it. No. Jesse wouldn't go for it. It's not big enough. Okay. I, need, I need some sort of wagon SUV, something to be able to throw the dog in, put a roof rack on, mm-hmm. you know, go on a road trip, pack all our stuff with a cooler and camping and everything. And a Tesla Model 3 is not that. Audi B7 S4 Avant. No, mainly because I don't like the way that Audis look. I don't like the styling design. I think that they've kind of lost their way as well. I don't like the way the interiors on Audis feel anymore. Really? I I don't. I like the like the old Audi 4000 Quattro's, all the red gauges in there, and they're all very, very simple. Yep. But I think Audi just, I just don't like the way they're designed. Plus, it's a Volkswagen product. Yeah. And I just, and I, I, so for all the, their direct injection technology is really bad. Like their motors Audi? just are, 
Audi Volkswagen. They're yeah. just not good. They're not reliable. No, I hear true. all kinds of nightmare stories about everything breaking and chain guides and all this stuff. And maybe it's just because I'm so close to my buddy Chad who runs a shop. Yeah. But I just hear the nightmares all the time of some guy with 70,000 miles came in. But it seems to happen all the time. These motors come in with 65, 70,000 miles and they're done. The chains break and it's they're toast. And it's $4,000 to fix a $7,000 car. I just I don't want to get into something like that. Uh, Land Rover, either the Discovery or a older Range Rover. Nowhere near reliable enough for me to trust my wife with. True. I just can't. Mm, what else is kind of exciting and cool? So I was thinking, if anything, mm-hmm. like a like an E500 wagon, like a Mercedes estate. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of something like that. Or to add another old boring Mercedes to your stable. No, this would be like a 2010, 2012 kind of in that. That's okay. not no, that's old. not an old one. Um, I was thinking about that. I started looking at E63 AMGs, uh-huh. and then I found out that they're like sixty thousand yeah. dollars for one that's old. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that. So I thought I just, I can't really think of anything. the The point of this is, is I can't think of anything that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the one. The one. I need to go out and you know check one of those out. What about a first gen Cayenne? Considered, yeah. But then again, we're in a car with technology that's terrible because mm, that at, same time period where at the time when those came out, they had a lot of technology from the time in them. Right. And all of it is junk. It's now dated. All the nav, all that stuff is all terrible. I didn't realize you can pull that stuff out and you can put some pioneer in, but then the steering wheel buttons don't work. I just like everything to just work. Some I'm, I'm just really struggling right now. At this point, I'm just gonna keep it, but I'm still I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. You know, if it was, wasn't for your wife, I'd say get a Miata. But you're probably not going to be able to put the kids' no, car no, seats No, no, the car in seat that. situation is probably not going to work out, and it's, I probably won't tolerate that either. So, um, well, before we get into Richard Rawlings, why don't you tell us a little bit about Patreon and iTunes reviews? Yeah, you guys need to head over both. Well, first, let's start with iTunes. We need more iTunes reviews. We need to know what you guys think of yeah, this I show. Yeah, I like reading them. We read every single one of them that comes in. And so head over. It really does help us is the bottom line. That's why we ask for it. So head over to iTunes.com. And you, well, wherever we are listening right now, yeah, that's a lot easier. And leave us a review and be sure to write some commentary as well. Yeah, we'd really appreciate that. And Patreon is only five bucks a month. That's right. Patreon.com slash overcorrect. Someone on uh, Instagram was saying, hey, I'd really like to become a Patreon. I'm like, well, then don't buy one Red Bull a month and that will allow you to be a Patreon. Exactly. Get exclusive episodes, get all the episodes early. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's with, a really good with way. With the price and gas fluctuation, you're basically, that's covered. Yeah, it's covered. Five bucks, support what you love. Um, and if it's not us, find something else to support that you love. You know, support the small creators. It's what it's all about. All right, let's get into my interview with the one and only Richard Rawlings. Mr. Richard Rawlings, man, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Whoa, what's up, man? Yeah, it's it's great to have you here. Before we get into the the Bullet Mustang and the Gas Monkey Garage Foundation, I kind of wanted to dig into your past a little bit so we can kind of lay a foundation for um, why all this stuff matters and why it's cool and and how how killer everything is that you're doing. Well, I don't know if you want to dig too far into my past, but we can talk about it. But, uh, <laughs> well, we'll know, see what yeah, comes up. Exactly. No, I'm just uh, real, real blessed and uh, honored uh, to be where I'm at. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope it continues to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of car guys, a lot of guys that are into cars get a lot of inspiration from their fathers. Um, when I read a little bit about you, you talk about your father, Raymond. And I was just wondering how he put the seed in your heart for cars. 
you know, my dad uh, was was is a phenomenal guy, and uh, he uh, was very uneducated. Had kids early, um, and uh, he worked really hard. Um, you know, he had manual labor jobs. He usually had two jobs at a time, sometimes three, just to kind of make ends meet. But I think that third job was uh, so he could have a toy, and uh, so he'd have a motorcycle or a, or a car, you know, that was his. And you know, on the weekends, that's where he was cleaning and fixing up. It, it definitely wasn't the best one or the nicest one, but it was the one he was the proudest of. And uh, so, you know, from a very young age, I was out there helping him uh, wash it and clean it or put the new chrome doodad on it or, you know, what have you. Is there a car uh, that really sticks out in your mind from back then that you, you know, you brought the wash bucket out to? Was there one that really mattered? Yeah, there was. And you, and you, and you hit the nail on the head, wash bucket. My dad always wanted to work his way up to have a car nice enough to be in the in the Autorama, you know, they have about 20 or 30 of them around the United States each year. And they have one here in Dallas. And, and he'd always sign up and, and he'd never get in. And one night, uh, it was like a Thursday night before they, they opened on Friday and they called and said, hey, somebody didn't make it. We got a spot for you. And so we didn't have a truck and trailer and all that stuff. So he just literally, we jumped in it. You know, he woke me up and we jumped in it. We drove down and it was raining. So he got it into position with the little ropes around it. And my job was to walk back and forth from the, in the convention center there for the bathroom, filling the bucket up with clean water and then letting him use it and emptying the old water and, and uh, filling it back up so he could wipe the whole car down by hand inside the convention center at like four in the morning, you know. And uh, that's so kind of must went, be before a quick detailer, apparently. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. I mean, I'm talking this was 45. Wow, geez, it would have been 40 ish years, you know. 38 years ago. Sure. Well, we've got it easy now with the spray and shine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I didn't have any of that. You know, and I think, you know, to tell you the truth, I think we were using my, my little brother's uh, uh, clean diapers to wipe it down. Because <laughs> back then, you didn't, you know, you didn't really have the throwaway diapers either. <laughs> right. Right. So what was the first car that you fell in love with? You know, you got the inspiration from your dad, but what was the one that you really, you know, gravitated towards first? It's always been a 65 Mustang Fastback. But as I grew uh, older, you know, of course, I liked all the cars that I had. I was buying and trading and selling cars in, in high school. And, uh, you know, I think by the time I graduated high school, I had had probably eight or ten cars. And uh, so uh, what was really, I guess the one that really I gravitate to nowadays is I'm a, I'm a big fan of 32 Fords. I've got a good collection of them. And, uh, I think the reasoning is... Uh, that's the beginning of the hot rod, you know, as we know it today. That they guys came back from the war, and and uh, <clears throat> they were cheap and plentiful. And uh, I feel like know, those guys people. needed a thrill. You know, they're over there, you know, fighting, doing their duty, and just you know the fear that you probably experienced doing stuff like that. You needed a thrill when you came home, something to make the yeah, uh, yeah, make the adrenaline exactly. go. You really did, yeah. And you know, it was a wild time. They're all back, and you know, making families and whatnot. So. Uh, I like the 32 Fords for that, and they started the hot rod. And then, you know, nowadays I'm, you know, I'm, I, what I really love about Gas Monkey is we're not a Mustang shop or a Camaro shop. I mean, we really do build anything and everything, um, and we've never built the same car twice. You know, so it's it's really cool. I get to experience all genres and all eras. So, what was the first car you bought and sold for a profit? Um. That would have been a 1976 uh, Chevrolet Caprice uh, Spirit of America. 
uh, <laughs> edition. Sure. It was white and had blue and red pinstripes on it from the factory. And I think I bought the car for, oh, five or 600 bucks and sold it for 800, you know, sure. uh, and uh, what have you. So, you know, one of my dad's jobs was throwing newspapers. So back then there was a, a morning paper and an evening paper. So from the time I was around eight or 10, probably eight, we threw papers until I was 17. And uh, so I didn't, you know, I had to get up at three in the morning with my dad and go throw newspapers. And then I'd go back to bed for an hour or so uh, and then go to school. And then I had to race home from school because I had to get back in the car uh, with my dad and go throw the evening paper. And the cool thing about that is there's two people in your neighborhood that always knows where the car is. And that's the postman and the newspaper guy. (laughs) They know where every car is. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, I was, I was going around on a bicycle. I didn't have a license going, Hey, I saw your Mustang in there. You know, I saw your Corvette, you know, you want to sell it. (laughs) When you look at, uh, everything you've learned from selling cars, what is one thing you've learned that you can take to the negotiating table every time? Well, uh, an old guy named Jack taught me this, um, long, long time ago. He was a car flipping guy. Uh, and, um, told him, son, you buying selling cars. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, well, you can buy a, a $10,000 car for five grand every day if you have it in your pocket. So, you know, pe- that's why people are always like, well, why do you carry all that money? I'm like, that's what I was told. That's how I was taught, you know? Right. Well, yeah, that's always and, the thing uh, is that money talks, right? Well, it, exactly. Money does talk. But I mean, if you're staying there with it, you know, you'll take it. You give them a chance to think about it or tell them they'll think about it. You know, oh, let me think about it. You know, like, you're not going to get that car. Right, right. So, what's the biggest car mistake purchase you've ever made? Just, oh, the, just the just the worst one where you're like, "Oh my god, this is like I never should have bought this piece of shit. Get this thing yeah, out of I here." Could probably write a book on that. <laughs> um, well, you know, with the advent of the internet, because I've been here since before that, so I am dating myself. Uh, I, I was a very early adapter of buying on eBay and you know, sight of scene, looking at the pictures, talking to the people, and and then making a deal, sending the money, and having the car delivered. And I think my biggest mistake is, is the people in the Northeast do not have the same concept of rust as uh, the rest <laughs> of the South and West of the world. Well, I'm in Minnesota, because, so I get that. Yeah, they'd be like, exactly. They'd be like, uh, hey, uh, uh, it's just got a little rust in the fender wells, you know. And they get there, and it's like, there's not a fender on it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Well, it's it's amazing to me that uh, Back to the Fifties exists here in Minnesota. Like, how is how is this the mecca for cars? Just the biggest rust area in the world, and that's where the Back to the Fifties is. It, Back to the Fifties is one of the funnest shows I've ever gone to. I've only been to it once. Um, I tried uh, for years, and still would try uh, to get uh, Fast and Loud crew there because I think it's such a cool event and. Um, I don't know how I would put this diplomatically, but the uh, elders of the of the leaders of the group that owns or runs went back to the fifties just won't do it, um, and uh, they don't want to. I don't know if they don't want to entertain it. It seems like every time I'd ask, they'd get sent the normal paperwork for production. Yeah. You know, like hey, we need permission to film here. We need your permission, and blah blah. And they'd look at the paperwork, go, oh, we're not signing that, you're not coming, you know. And uh, if anybody out there knows the people that get it done, <laughs> I would love to bring Fast and Loud 
to back to the fifties and, and do a special on it. Well, I'm, I'm happy to walk over there and knock on a door for you. Just let me know. <laughs> well, I've tried everything in the world and I even called them and said, guys, this is, you know, we've got a great show and this is what we do. We're going to come there. We're going to talk about it. And they're just like, no, nah, we don't want that. Huh? That's strange. Must be some old school dudes or something like that. Um, so back when you were here it was probably in like, that must've been like 2004, 2005 when you first started, you know, doing the gas monkey, uh, garage stuff. And back then I imagine you really were grinding really hard. And I was just wondering what's some of the toughest parts of getting going with something like that with your plan and your vision. Cause as far as I know, you had a pretty big vision back then. Like what was the toughest thing about, you know, starting small, yeah, the, trying to reach that? Well, the vision was, I mean, gas monkey as it sits now, uh, you know, where we are and with the shows and with, you know, books and restaurants and, you know, tequilas and energy drinks and all the stuff. That was all part of the business plan that I wrote in 2003. Um, so, um, start, you got to start small, you know, and we started with what we wanted, but we had lofty goals. And, uh, so I guess the hardest part was I was on the road for probably four years in that big rig. I mean, I was definitely gone twice or three times as much as I was ever at home. Right. And, uh, that put a strain on the home life. Uh, but you know, I wasn't going to give in and, you know, gas monkey went completely broke twice. Um, like why did you keep going on my sister's couch? Cause I, I knew it would work. I knew it would work uh, and I believed in it and I wasn't going to give up. Uh, but it all kind of hinged on making, getting the, the street cred and, and everything enough to make the network sign off on getting a show i'm sure there was a lot of people that were like dude just quit just quit well there was a lot of naysayers and of course that was when the internet first started up and you know if somebody said it on the web well my gosh it was true yeah and uh you know so i had a lot of that to work through and i think one of the the smartest things is i just never looked at it i never acknowledged it i never got into it and uh i just kept my nose to the grindstone and told everybody that gas monkey was unbelievably awesome and, <laughs> and and went around trying to prove it to them. Right. So what do you think gets in the way of most small, small shops from taking the next step from going from the, the um, small little shop to finally being like, you know, you, t- you hear a lot of small shops where there's, you know, there's a guy up front, there's a couple guys in the back and that's, you know, then that's it. What's, what's their biggest hurdle to, you know, having three guys in front and 10 guys in back. You know, I guess I would answer that question in, um, Everybody has to make their paycheck, including the owner, and the owner's stressed, uh, and God forbid if it's a partnership. And so you end up getting two, three, four cars in there that you're working on. And I noticed that early on. And so we'd have all these cars torn apart. And we'd come in each day and it's like, God, I got to do this with that, but I got to do this with that one. And I promised the owner I'd do XXS on this one. And so I switched my gear in Gas Monkey maybe 2000 seven or so and from that point on we only worked on one vehicle till it was done and so you came in and you got rolling and then the next day it's like boom pick it up boom pick it up and 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 we were able to turn out a car and that's why we all do this stuff is the satisfaction and the fulfillment of the job done right so you know the small shot can get themselves into a really bad mental state by coming in every day and there's many many cars not finished Right. Yeah. It just kind of weighs on you. It's just this burden that slows you down. Exactly. So at the so gas monkey garage, one car. at the gas monkey garage shop, you've got a white line. I hear you've got a white line painted on the floor 
And basically, every time <laughs> yeah. you cross the line, you got to think about being filmed. And this isn't a question about um, are you the same guy on each side of the line? Because you know you're pretty. You seem pretty legit. You're probably the same guy on each side of the line. But my question is, do you ever have trouble seeing the cars that are on the other side of the line? Like you're on this side, and you're like your cars you want to do, and everything has to do with this filming stuff. Do you ever want something that's just for you, just a car, just for you that nobody knows about that you just built for yourself, and you don't have to deal with all the bullshit? Trust me, you hit it right on the right on the head there. And I've I've tried, and every time I get kind of going on it, it works its way into the show, <laughs> and uh, what have you. So uh, yeah, there's always something that I want for myself, you know. And and the line, you know, the, when I cross the line, I don't, you know, I'm running seven or eight companies, and I got to walk across the line, and not only be what what is going on and be all about it, but they don't know that I might've just been yelling and screaming at my county or having a fight with procurement or, you know, whatever. Right. And, uh, I got to turn it on the other way. Like, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it, it can be difficult. I have the same white line outside at my fence. And when I open the fence, we've got, you know, hundreds and sometimes thousands of people that come by a day and, they don't know that I've had a bad day business-wise right. or I've been in, you know, been sitting with the CPA or whatever. So I got to put that there and I walk out and I'm smiling because I'm, they're happy to be there. They're excited. They don't know that I might have just had a really shitty business day. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, Johnny Cash wrote a song about walking the line. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, before we get into the, the Bullet Mustang, I have a question for you. And this is kind of a broad question. It doesn't have to do with any of your cars or any specific car. What makes a car cool? Anything, just broad sense, what makes for a cool car? I, I think what the car does is it extends your individuality and it gives you uh, uh, your individual person. That's why cars are so cool. That's why so many people like so many different cars. I mean, believe I always say it, there's an ass for every seat. You know, that's why there's people that love four-door station wagons. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a piece of your personality and your individuality there. And uh, that's what makes it so uh, uh, so American, you know, so to speak. It's a piece of freedom also. Uh, the open road, being gone, you can get in your car and you can just go, you know. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been ingrained into us here in America since, you know, Henry Ford started turning them out. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, that freedom and that drive and that individuality, I think, is why you're going to start to see um, people like Richard Rawlings doing burnouts at Dallas at 4 a.m. and and 2035 or whenever it is that they ban cars, they think that's probably what you're going to end up seeing. Um, oh yeah, I know. I hope <laughs> they don't ban cars. And trust me, in the, in the 16, 17 years that I've been doing this, um, it's, um, I can already see it, you know, that the, the people are starting to become disinterested. There's so much going on in the world that we're losing that, that enthusiast level. Uh, and we're losing the younger kids at an alarming rate. Um, and I think that we all need to take time to teach our kids uh, the same things that our, our dads taught us, you know, about cars and why they're cool and, and uh, keep them active and keep them in the garage, you know. Uh, and quite frankly, hell, to be a good mechanic these days, you got to be a computer whiz. Yeah. You know, so it, teach them that kind of thing. I've got a new show coming out on Disney Plus in uh, February. So I'm pretty stoked on that. It's all about kids and uh, shop class and stuff like that going to be pretty neat i love that yeah my my shop teacher in high school was always a super good guy you know always pointing the, the other dudes that were in the class in the right direction um so exactly uh you know that makes me think of you know a lot of that 
just a sidebar here is when you're working in the car with your dad or your garage or what a lot of that stuff, a lot of that was a necessity, right? You had to work on the car because you couldn't afford to pay someone else to fix it. But it also turns Correct. it also turns into this thing where it becomes a passion project too, because it, like you said, it starts to re- represent who you are. And I think in in society today, the cars that are out there are so hard to work on that maybe that's part of the reason why it starts to fade away a little bit. Obviously, there's political reasons too, but nobody's pulling their you know 2019 you know, Ford Escort or Ford Fiesta or whatever into the garage to necessarily work on it with their dad. It's just, it's too complicated. Well, yeah, and it does take a lot of computer electronics that aren't yeah. uh, readily available. It's not hand tools. So you can't go down to the to the store and buy them. Uh, you gotta, gotta get the package and then you gotta subscribe and you gotta download it. You gotta yeah. do all these things. And, uh, you know, the manufacturers don't want you to have that ability because they want you to bring it into them you know, to have it fixed. So it's kind of a catch 22 situation. Um, well, maybe it'll all just boil down and the guys that are left will just be the real guys. You know, you just have, it'll all boil down. What cracks me up is if you look at, uh, you know, the, the guys with the new cars, I mean, the import tuner set is a little bit different, but you can look at some of the old magazines, you know, grab an old box of 19, early 1970s, uh, uh, hot rod magazines, these guys were taking brand new cars off the lot and going bananas with them. Not just engine upgrades and some bolt on exhaust, but crazy lace paint jobs and right. you know, change the interiors. I mean, just going crazy. And nowadays they just buy a new car and maybe they, you know, put some wheels on it or, you know, slap a, a, a coffee can size exhaust on the back. And, and that's about it. Uh, it, it. There's no crazy zany individuality about it. Yeah, we'll have to see where things go. Um, so tell us a little bit about the Bullet Mustang you guys are giving away with Omaze for the Gas Monkey Garage Foundation. Oh, it's been a heck of a good ride with that, and uh, Omaze is a great group. Uh, we were approached by the uh, McQueen family uh, to build a Bullet uh, recreation of the car uh, to, you know, 100% spec the way it was. And uh, I got to talking with them about it. I was like, look, there's a lot of people that have built that car. There's even companies that make their living building those cars. Right. I don't know that I'm all that interested. And then Chad McQueen called me because he heard that I'd said that. He goes, I don't think they explained to you what I got going on. I said, what? <laughs> he goes, I'm going to shut down San Francisco and we're going to recreate the scene and we're going to film it. Oh my God. And I was like, I was like, holy cow. Okay, <laughs> now you got my attention because nobody gets to do that. Right. And he had worked for the city of San Francisco and got all the permits and all the everything. And so we built the car, we took it to San Fran, and we kind of did a, a special on Fast and Loud of the filming of the bullet chase scene. And we went to all the same roads and all the same spots and kind of gave the viewer a behind-the-camera th- behind view of recreating this and we got to jump that car off the hills and <laughs> run it 107 miles an hour down whatever road. And it was really cool. What was the black car that was chasing him in that scene? What was that thing? Charger. Okay. Did you did you have a Charger chasing too? Did we were you able to grab one of those? Well, uh, because of uh, how would I say this diplomatically, the powers that be, uh, <laughs> instead of having a classic Charger, we had I a. See black new one and it was actually a challenger because it's the two-door version but uh so i think that uh that was a little deal with uh yeah, yeah. that's still cool though that's still cool so did you guys is there i mean when you jump these cars <laughs> did you damage anything did you have to fix anything afterward we only had um one small piece of damage on the 
driver's side rear fender well. And uh, other than that, the car performed flawlessly through every single thing. I was so proud of my guys. I mean, I took my whole crew there because we only had, you know, three days to get it done. And, uh, get, you know, if we broke something major, we were going to have a problem. Right. So we brought some spares and some backups and we hoped for the best, but we didn't let up on the gas pedal. I said, I wanted to jump as long as far and do as fast as it possible. So just don't let up. Yeah. Why bother doing it half ass? <laughs> why bother? Exactly. It's, it's no fun at all. Um, so tell us a little bit about the Gas Monkey Garage Foundation and how it works. Well, you know, we're a small foundation. We've given away, I don't know, probably six or $700,000 so far towards uh, Alzheimer's, mostly in veterans. Uh, I work kind of closely with smaller uh, groups in need. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping one day that it's a, a giant, big, huge foundation. But uh, I'm proud of it. And, you know, my dad has Alzheimer's real, uh, real advanced. And mm-hmm. uh, he's in a home. Uh, so I'm glad that he got to see uh, gas monkey uh, until about four or five years ago. Uh, I'm sure that uh, he, he absorbed it, but uh, he's kind of lost that, that thought process now and doesn't really get a whole grip on what's going on. So it's a shitty disease. Uh, it's as bad for the person with it as it is for the family. And uh, Yeah, I'm know, watching my grandmother right now. She's in the beginning stages of it. It's, it's hard. She's just fading away. You know, it's just, yeah. it's hard to be around yeah. them and just watching them fade away. I mean, it's tough. Well, it's not just that, you know, then, you know, some people get combative, they go through a combative stage and then the family members get upset and they want to try to, don't you remember grandma? Or don't you? And you can't do that. You got to just take it and go, you know what, if they think the bombs are coming and they're under the table, you know, uh, uh, and scared, get under the table with them. You know, I call it taking care of the old kids in their mind. They haven't seen this yet or, or they're reliving something that in their mind and, and they don't know why. And you, you're going to ruin both of your both of your time if you try to talk them out of it because in their mind it's real just go ahead and roll with it you know they're fine they're standing right there in front of you don't try to t- convince them that something's not happened sounds cool i can roll if they're crying sit down and cry with them. take them to a ball game they might not even think they've ever seen baseball before well it was awesome that he was able to see you you know tie the dream together i think that's special that that he was able to do that with you yeah, we keep his car there, and every once in a while we'll bring him. He does remember his car always, and uh, you know he'll even introduce himself to me like, "Hey, I'm in Rawlings," and then he'll be like, "Oh, that's my car," you know. <laughs> uh, so he really he, he he never forgets the car. So I keep it there for him and bring him over and take him for a ride every once in a while and stuff like that. Uh, that says but, a lot uh, about a car. It, it really does. It says it, it. It was that guy was his prized possession. Uh, you know, it was you know. It was, he had reached the pinnacle of something that he never thought he'd be able to afford. And uh, so it, it made it, he will remember that car till the day he died. For sure. Well, if you guys want to help Gas Monkey Garage make the world a better place, head on over to amaze.com slash overcrest to enter a chance to win the bullet Mustang we talked about. And, to, and of course, to contribute to a great cause. Um, I'll do everything I can to help you out, Mr. Rawlings, and uh, in, your, in, your, in your journey on this foundation. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Yeah, one one side note. Uh, I've got something huge brewing up there in uh, Minnesota with you guys, and uh, so keep stay tuned for that. I can't really let the cat out of the bag yet, but uh, it's going to be uh, next uh, next summer. All right, it's going to blow everybody away. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be the launch of a 
a new uh, vertical for Gas Monkey uh, Garage, and uh, I'm doing it right there uh, in uh, Minneapolis area. Well, I'm going to start hounding you at the at the in spring at the beginning of the summer. Then I'm going to try and figure out what this is. Well, when you hear it, when, it, when, you, when you hear it first, then it, you'll hear it because it's going to be, you know, I'm going to ring the bell with it. Uh, you'll know, and then you give me a holler, and I'll be able to do this with you again, and we'll talk all about what's going on. Sounds good, man. We'll talk to you later. Thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Take care. That was an awesome interview, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that I missed that. So I, I make the mistake of when I'm buying cars is I talk to people too much online. I should just get in the car and go look at it. And I think one of the troubles I have is there's so much BS when you're buying online of people yes. that are just jerking your chain and screwing around right. that I feel like I don't want to waste my time. Oh, yeah. So I just I almost don't take other people as seriously as I should. Well, because the times I know there are stories where you've gone to look at a car and either it's misrepresented or you're not the person they thought was coming to buy said car. I know, it's ridiculous. So you do have to be, I guess, kind of careful of that. And the online marketplace right now is really bad. There's lots of scams. It's tough to look at. It's difficult yeah, to search. Sending me some messages about that. Yes, yeah, so, oh, E30 M3, $3,000, Cocado, Minnesota. I called the number and the guy's like, hey, this is Bob with Bob's Cars. Um, somebody is using my phone number. This is a scam. Please don't leave me a message unless you know me. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Wow. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been really, really tough. I do it's love tough to buy cars now. Richard's point that you can buy a $10,000 car for five grand all day long if you have five grand in your hand. It's yes, but I think there's probably a little bit of give and take on that. I mean, there a lot is. of people would say no, but I think the point is, is have cash in your hand, be and ready be to buy. There. It just you're 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 there you got the money and that is half the battle yes the guy you tell the guy you've got the money he could sell that car right now all the is it available do you still have this car yes you know i'm thinking all the tire kickers good point they go away with mm -hmm. that cash that's in your hand so you can almost sell it as that be like hey right now you can make all that bs go away and i'll <laughs> give you this money and uh you know that's i mean it's just it's difficult when you're buying from afar to do something like that right when you live in california or texas and there's huge amounts of populations of people and you can just go somewhere and look at a car and buy it here none of the cars i i don't want any of them because they're all rusty crap exactly so it's tough to just you know hop on over and go check out this sweet mint car with no rust and just buy it yeah, doesn't really work nice that way you have to fly somewhere to do it which makes it which makes it hard, you know, because you have definitely to, a, another barrier. Yeah. You want to agree on a price before you get out there. So when I bought my Mercedes, for example, I agreed on a price before I went out. And when I went out, I kind of wanted to negotiate a little bit more because I could tell that there was a couple issues that I'm like, mm. but when he has you on your doorstep from a thousand miles away, he's got all the leverage. Yep. I have no leverage whatsoever. I've already spent $600. Actually, that time I misbooked my flight. So I had to book another flight oh, at geez. my expense, which cost me $800. To, so it cost me $800 to get out there and see that car. He had me over the barrel. There's nothing I could do. Right. So anyway, thanks for to Richard Rawlings for coming on. Yep, and thanks to the Gas Monkey Foundation. Yeah, this well. seems like they're doing they're doing great stuff. Which you know, obviously, some of it's important to me. And uh, make sure you head over to omaze.com/slash/overcrest and check out uh, the, the the 68 Bullet Mustang yeah. that they built. Yeah, that's it for today, guys. Um, I appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you on Monday with the news. Take care.